back to another interview episode of the Midtown Madness podcast. Uh, we, I'm incredibly excited to wade into these, this era's waters for the first time since I've started doing these interviews. Uh, and Pete and I are super excited to welcome in the Venice Menace, Erwin Claggett, to the show. Clags, thanks for joining the show. And I think we dive right, right. in. Where and when did the Venice Menace moniker start? I, I always attribute it to Rammer. I Am I wrong? No, you are not wrong. Rammer, um, I didn't even know it. Um, Rammer kind of came up with, of course, when you're playing, you don't get to see the broadcast or anything. But um, during that time I was in school, man, and I was like kind of out and about, and I see people kind of hear people talking about, there's a Venice Menace, there's a Venice Menace. And I was like, what, what, like, where does that come from? You know, and then um, I kind of heard about that, so he was calling me on air, so it kind of stuck. Uh, but good name, but but shout out to, to, to the Rammer, man. Um, yeah, Rammer was a man, man. He's still a man. So yeah, he came up with the moniker, and it, it still stuck to this day. I'm not sure there's a better play-by-play uh, -play and color commentary team. I know there's not in the A-10, um, but I'm not sure there's a better radio broadcast team in, in the country. Oh, I totally agree. N not only that, those guys are, are very knowledgeable um, and they've seen a lot of basketball. You know, Earl um, come from basketball roots, of course, you know, with his uncle Wes Unseld and he knows the game in and out. And of course, Rammer and both of those guys are are, are true and blue Billiken guys. So, um, yeah, it's nothing better than, than listening to Rammer and Earl kind of get after it on the radio, man. I love it. So speaking of Venice, so so you grow up there, and uh, what's the experience there like? And not too far from St. Louis, but uh, kind of seems like its own thing at the same time. Yeah, it's funny, man. When you grew up in Illinois, like, like I was an Illinois boy, you know what I'm saying? So St. Louis, even though it was only 15 minutes from me, it was it was pretty foreign. You know, my mom mm -hmm. worked at, um, when I was younger, she worked at Barnes Hospital, but that was the only attachment pretty much I had to St. Louis. And besides emos, because she took us there often, emos on Hampton. But uh, besides that, man, you know, it was all about Illinois. Like I was a Bears fan, um, somewhat. My my natural love, of course, was the Cowboys, but um, I hate to say it, I kind of was a Cubs fan growing up as well. I was a big time fighting Illini fan. That was my dream school, you know, kind of growing up. So, um, yeah, I was a, I was, I was really like an Illinois boy uh, growing up, you know, even though I was only 15 minutes away. Uh, what, what's your, what's your go-to order at Emo's? What are you getting? Oh uh, man, I'm, I think I'm getting the, the sausage pepperoni with bacon, man. That's, that's the go-to. I got to throw some wings in there. And so I, I got to get a salad, get some ruffage, and some jalapeno poppers. There yeah. you go. W wings. You're speaking my language when you're talking wings. I am a, <laughs> I am a connoisseur of buffalo wings. Um, who's the more famous Venice native, you or Ted Savage? Ted Savage. Ted Savage is the man. Yeah. Ted Savage is the guy. Um, and we actually used to golf at, I don't golf over there as much anymore. It's a golf course called Grand Marai over in East St. Louis at Frank Holden Park. And um, I used to golf there a lot with my father-in-law when he, you know, when he was he was alive. And we played there every Saturday. And I used to teach, see Ted over there often. But yeah, Ted Savage by far. Ted Savage is the man. Still the man. So uh, 
so so um what's your development like as a as a, a player you play at venice high school um are you playing aau ball um when does it really start to come together yeah it's funny man when i you know when i grew up it's you know venice is a um a small town venice madison lovejoy area so that I mean, i'm a product of all three towns which is pretty much the same but it's a small area but it had a lot of talent um but not a lot of guys kind of got that opportunity at that level um, of, of division one and playing kind of higher level basketball. So, um, and I was kind of on that same path to be honest with you. Um, I had a great high school uh, career probably for three years. And then um, I played basketball for a new club called the St. Louis Eagles with Rich Gray, who was the founder. Uh, Ron Golden was one of the guys that kind of helped um uh peewee leonard was around preston thomas um guys like that but rich was really rich and ron and rich was really like the 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 kind of go-to guy and the founder in the financial uh piece he kind of did a lot of it on his own so i played for him nobody knew who i was and i went to au nationals with sky highmark scott and i played together all the way when we were like 16 17 years old julian winfield eric bickle and um I went to AAU Nationals, man, and I had I had a phenomenal tournament. You know, you didn't have all the tournaments that they have now. You know, it was like you go to AAU Nationals, and each state had, like, the top team. So our top team out of Missouri was the St. Louis Eagles. So I got a chance to play against Chris Weber, Bashan Leonard, Jalen Rose, and guys like that in that, in that class of 91. Big dog Glenn Robinson, you know, and um, – I played well, man, and nobody knew who I was. And then when I got home, I probably had like 30 or 40 college offers, you know, and from then on, it kind of took off. So which ones of those were the strongest? You mentioned Illinois as your dream school. Were they in the mix? Illinois wasn't in a mix at the time. They, they kind of came in late, um, but they had just recruited um, um, Jamie Brandon. I don't know if you remember Jamie Brandon at uh, I think Jamie uh, Jamie went to Chicago Simeon um, and they had a guy by the name of Rennie Clemens that played at Springfield Cavalry in Illinois um, and Rennie was a year older Jamie Brandon was a year older or maybe a couple of years older than I was so they kind of came in late um, Illinois was still my dream school man I was a big time flying Illini fan um, that team was like crazy crazy good man Kenny Battle and I thought I was Kendall Gill because I had like the high top fade with the with the juices and berries up top. You know, I had the fade on the side. I used to dunk with my left hand and I wore number 13. Like that was that was my guy kind of growing up. So um, but you know, St. Louis U was like always in the back. You know, a big a big influence on me of going to St. Louis U was um um Coach Lee Whitfield. Uh Coach Wynn did a, a phenomenal job of recruiting me. He recruited a lot of local area guys. Um, just so easy to talk to. He was almost like an uncle, you know, so it was, it was real easy uh, transition to come and play for him. Do you have any good Lee Winfield stories? Because to tell you the truth, I mean, I was three or two when you were coming to soon. Uh, not to, not to make you feel, I don't want to do that, but do you got any good Lee Winfield stories? Anything <laughs> that would, I know. I'm sorry, my dude. I'm sorry. Um, any Lee Winfield stories kind of give us an idea about what he was like? Man, Coach Wynn was like the coolest laid back person, but so knowledgeable about basketball that you would ever meet. Um, 
And I, I remember he had a full sweatsuit on my first day of practice, right? And Coach Wings to come in, he'd be excited, man. He'd be hyped. Um, and I didn't really know much about his playing career. He was a hell of a basketball player, not only in high school, but in college. And then he played in the pros as well. Um, and back then, um, like when he was coming out, a lot of uh, uh, black uh, uh, players didn't go, a lot of them didn't go to top colleges because top colleges wouldn't recruit them. So it didn't have anything to do with talent. But Coach Wynn, I, I can't remember what school he went to, but anyway, I remember the first day of practice, man, and some guys were talking and Coach Wynn was just hype, cheering everybody up, motivating. And one of the players was like, Coach Wynn, show the young fella something. And I was like, what is like, I think at the time Coach Wynn was like, like in his like late forties. I'm like, what is he going to show me? Like, he stood under the rim, no dribbles, and jumped up, cocked up. What? in the world is going on like for anybody to know like anybody even like the most athletic person that stand under the rim with no dribbles and just to jump down put the ball behind his neck and dunk it uh with authority like that floored me you know um and it gave me kind of some insight of what kind of athlete he was probably 20 years before then they used to call him leaping lee you know that was julian's dad julian and i you know, we play AAU together. We kind of, we kind of, kind of bonded like brothers, man. That's still my guy to this day. And uh, Coach Wynn, man, definitely, man. I love that. I love Coach Wynn to the core, man. Um, rest in peace, Coach Wynn. But he was a big, big influence um, on me. And that was, that would be one of the first stories I remember. You know, Coach Wynn did a lot for keeping the guys together and, and keeping them locked in and, and ready to go. Did you have much of a relationship with Coach Grower before you came to SLU, or was it mostly uh, Winfield? Yeah, it was mostly Coach Wynn. I kind of got to know uh, 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 Coach Grower when I got there. Um, just like with any coach, he pushed me hard um, every day in practice. I hated it, you know, at that moment, just like any other 18-year-old kid. I came in thinking I was like, hot stuff in the first 15 games, I couldn't get on the floor, you know, and uh, I I didn't know why. I thought, it, you know, I did well in practice. I was scoring on guys in practice. And, and but at the same time, I didn't know much about the game of basketball and how to play it. And that's what Coach, Coach Grau was kind of trying to teach me. And, um, and, and that was pretty much my relationship early on. You know, I really um, probably, um, you know, they let Coach Grau grow up in my freshman year. Um, I had grown to appreciate him more um, towards the tail end of my freshman year. And, of course, after he was gone and Coach Spoon came in, did a phenomenal job as well. But I really got to appreciate a lot what Coach Grau did for me. Do you ever have any uh, weird recruiting visit stories? You know, you hear uh, nowadays about, you know, you know, crazy parties, whatnot, anything, anything weird on the road, not necessarily with slew, but any of those, uh, like maybe go visit Illinois or anything like that. I'm going to plead the fifth on that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my visits were like the best visits, the most respectful visits. Uh, we sat around, we drank a lot of water. We sung Kumbaya <laughs> and um, 
play Uno. That was it. That was a, that was my business, man. That's all yeah. I got for you. He knows where his bread's buttered at with Slew High. <laughs> good, good, good That's all Jesuit. I got for you. Good old Jesuit no, college visit. There you go. There you go. There you go. No, the visit, I mean, it's like with anything, man. You you love people to tell you you're the best thing since sliced bread. And you got all the recruits, man. They telling you all the good stuff that is going on. And but I don't have any kind of honestly, I don't have any kind of um probably out of the ordinary uh sort of, uh recruiting tales. You know, I visited, I think when I came out, I visited Colorado. The coolest thing is I went to Colorado. Eric Bienemy was at Colorado when I went to visit Colorado, who's the offensive coordinator now at KC. I don't know if you guys remember, Colorado was stacked. Um, I think the year before their quarterback had died. But that year, I think it was the national championship. They had Darian Hagens, Eric Bienemy. Um, that team was loaded. Um, I think they were number one in the country. That was the boat of Colorado. I was going, I wanted to go to Colorado just because of the campus. Like it was the most amazing thing that I ever seen. Um, and of course they all have pretty girls and they all have unlimited this and unlimited that. So, you know, those things are all competitive, but you know, when you're an 18 year old kid, but the, the, the campus at Colorado was like phenomenal, but I went there, I went to Iowa state, Johnny Orr was at Iowa state. I don't know if you guys know much about Johnny Orr, but legendary coach. Um, he coached my high school coach as well, you know, so they kind of had a, had sort of an end. Um, I went to Northern Iowa, Northern Iowa, a, a, a friend of mine, a really like my older brother, Dale Turner was there. He's from Venice, Illinois, Northern Iowa was too cold, you know, and St. Louis, you won out, man, because you know, the location, um, and my mom got a chance to see me play every home game. So that meant a lot to me. You come in with uh, with Scott Highmark, Julian Winfield. You guys have a pretty tough first year under uh, under Coach Grower. What's the what's kind of the environment around the team at that time? How'd you guys how'd you guys weather that first season? <laughs> man, I tell you what, man, I had never been through anything like that like before. Um, I think we started with fifteen players, and by midway through the season, we were down to like seven. Mm. You know, it had got so bad. Um, guys were just leaving for various reasons. Um, and I thought we had a really good team to start off with. Um, uh, Big Chill, Melvin Robinson, I believe, is still to this day, now that I look at like the NBA centers now, that's kind of what Melvin kind of embodied there. Seven foot, very athletic, can shoot the three, can run four, block shots. Um, he was like kind of before his time, you know, and he left. Carlos Skinner left, and before you know it, man, the floodgates opened up. Um, and all that left was was pretty much fresh equipment dealer, you know, at the time who was a senior, you know. So um very tumultuous year. We won five, I think we went five and 23. We were like, they had us ranked. They used to show the ticker of the worst teams in college basketball, and we were always up there because we couldn't win a game. But people didn't understand, we were basically playing all freshmen at that time. You know, and I got, I think that kind of helped me out a lot because I kind of got to, I got to, to fail. You know, I, when all them guys left, I played a lot, you know, and, and not only did I play a lot, I started figuring some things out, Scott and myself, we started having a lot of success, uh, success as a freshman that kind of catapulted um, us for the rest of the year. So 
it was bad in that sense, but the good part is, and the, and the bad part, of course, was Coach Grog getting fired. Um, and not only Coach Grog getting fired, Coach Winfield, you know, as he left with him, I hated to see Coach Wynn go. I wish he would have got an opportunity to be the head coach, um, but, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't in the plans, I guess. But um, I guess the best thing about that is we were able to gain a lot of experience. I think that helped us out because our sophomore year we were a little better. And then our junior and senior year, we blew it out the water. And I don't think that would have happened had we not played as much our freshman year. Uh, listening to you and we got to lose a lot. So we learned what not to do, you know, so that helped. Right. <laughs> listening, to, uh, listening to you talk about getting the, the chance to play as a freshman and, and learning to fail and, and that kind of thing. Uh, it brought up memories of the year Kwame and Willie were suspended under Majerus. Mm -hmm. Uh, was that is that something you um, you kind of saw too? Like, were you like, okay, this 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 is gonna suck this year, but down the line, it, it's gonna it's gonna turn these guys into you know the players that they'll be. Yeah, um, definitely during that time, of course, uh, for for other reasons. But you know, those guys, you know, not not able to play. I'm pretty sure they'll tell you um, it made them hungrier. I'm pretty sure it pissed them off as well, not getting that opportunity. And, you know, when you – people don't understand, man. You know, guys, you know, you 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 put blood, sweat, and tears on that court, man, to prepare, and you sacrifice a lot, time away from family, time away from friends, and all of those things. And I'm pretty sure um, they left a bitter taste in their mouth, you know, the way things happen, um, um, and them not getting that chance. But at the same time, though, those guys that were left over – it gave them an opportunity to kind of grow. And the guys that didn't get a chance gave them an opportunity to kind of gain some hunger too, you know, and you kind of combine all that together. And I think just like, you know, during my time after my sophomore year, I think the program, it just kind of took off, you know, from there. And we were able to sustain it for, for quite a bit of time. So, um, and it's kind of like the same thing um, back then when that happened with them guys, the program kind of took off you know, the NCAA tournaments, tournament wins and all of those things. Was that, was it a uh, conscious decision between you and Highmark to come to school together? Yeah. 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 Myself, um, Julian Winfield, um, Eric Bickle, who played on our AU team, Eric played at Ridner, and, um, uh, Ryan Grant, who was from Effingham, you know, Effingham is a far ways away. But at the same time, it's local in a sense, too. You know, um, and Bickle, myself, and, and Julian, we all play AAU together, you know, at a pretty young age. So we all made that kind of decision to kind of stick it out and play together um, and go to SLU. We all had home roots. Um, SLU was new. It was a new league. And we thought we had a chance by the time we graduated. We didn't know it would happen the way it did, but we thought we had a chance to do something really special. So, um, so Highmark, after that season, makes the decision to stay. Um, Winfield, I guess the decision's a little easier, you know, when his dad is, is leaving. He transfers to Mizzou. Um, were there decisions made before you? Did you make it together with Scott to stay? Or did, did you kind of think about transferring out as well? No, I was out. I was gone. I was going to um, – I had two schools. I was either going to Iowa State or Northern Iowa. I had made my mind up. Um, and actually, Coach Winfield um, sought me out, you know, and, and, I, and I was a little angry at the fact that he didn't really get a chance to kind of 
you know, interview and be the head coach as well. He was just kind of going to kind of be let go, you know, mm-hmm. just like Coach Gras. So that left a bitter taste in my mouth. So I was gone because of that. But Coach Wynn saw me out and he talked to me and he just explained to me about the benefits of staying home, the benefits of not leaving. You know, he really, it, it kind of showed me um, the character, you know, that his character, his true character that, he could have easily been scoring and been like, yeah, you need to get out of here because they don't care about you. Look what they did to me. He looked at as slew as being beneficial to just my development, just as a person. And he seen me grow in that year. And he thought the best situation for me would be to stay put. So I listened to him and, you know, everything else that he had done for me up until this point, I, it had worked out. So um, he was really a big part of me. Um, I'm standing there. Coach Spoon came in. He said magic words. Claggett, whenever you feel free and you 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 get your feet set, you can let it go. You know, and Coach Spoon kind of opened it up and he allowed me to, to flourish and be the player that I wanted to be. Um, and that was all I needed. Um, I want to go back to that season, uh, that first season. You guys played um, a Memphis team that had Penny Hardaway on it. Um, yeah. What what was Penny like back in the day uh, to play against? <laughs> oh man, I tell people to this day, and I played against Tim Duncan. I've seen like all of these, like all of these cats play. Man, Penny Hardaway by far uh, was the most talented college basketball player I've ever laid my eyes on. Um, we played Memphis State, and this was early on my freshman year. I wasn't playing much. And uh, I walk in the gym, and we're warming up. And the fans are throwing pennies on the floor, like literally pennies. It's pennies littering the floor. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? Like, what's going on? And I see these signs, like, pennies a million-dollar man. We're in a pyramid. The pyramid is rocking. They had just opened the pyramid. Um, at that time, of course, now it's like some bass pro fishing kind of deal, but the pyramid housed the Memphis State Tigers and um, they opened it. We opened it on the road and um, and I looked at Penny and I was like, you talk about he was skin and bones then. Uh, Penny's a good friend of mine. Now, we we often golf together whenever I go down to Memphis. So I, I kind of tell him this story all the time. But um Man, I never seen anything like it. This cat was like six eight, six nine. He was long. He was stupid, athletic, very skilled, and he was just a dog, man. Um, and the first play, I remember Julian bringing the ball up the floor, and I was on a bench, and it seemed like Penny like sat at half court, man, he looked like a praying mantis, and um, he ripped Julian so quick. And in two dribbles, it looked like he was laying down and he jumped inside the rim. I've never seen anybody jump that high before. And I'm like, man, what in the world is going on? And he did it again. He picked him again and went down and he reverse dunked it. Coach Graw calls a timeout and he looked at me and said, Claggett, are you ready? And I turned my head. <laughs> I turned my head like, hell no. I don't want any part of that. Uh <laughs> But that was my introduction to Penny Hardaway, man. Not only Penny, man, they had – that team was so good that they had, man, Billy Smith and David Vaughn and I were in the same class, but he was good. He played in the league. Um, that team was, like, crazy good at, at Memphis State, man. But, yeah, that was my introduction to Penny Hardaway. I was like, man, this this dude here is for real. 
And I think that was a year he was coming off of Prop 48, too. You know, back in those days, you didn't pass the test. They did this terrible thing to kids where they made them sit out a year. Um, and they, it's Prop 48, and he couldn't play and all of these things. He couldn't practice. And this was the year he got to come back. Um, and, of course, he played one more year, and he was, like, the one of the best players in the league the, the following year. So, um, yeah, Penny Hardaway, by far, man, was he was, a, he was an amazing, amazing player. Then I got to know him. He's a really good. He's a really good person as well. So I'm guessing you're excited for uh, the matchup in a couple of weeks at at, uh, at FedEx. Man, I'm trying to get down. I don't know. I, I got to look at the schedule. I don't care. I, I teach. So even if I'm teaching the next day, I am. I'm going to be in a building. I got to get down there and see uh, see my boys take on Memphis. Man, they they're gonna have a pretty good team too. Um, but I really like our chances. Even you know, even with uh, Javante going down, um, that was still a tough, that's going to be a tough pill to swallow, but I, I, I'm a big believer in our team and our guys and our coaches, man. I think we're going to do, we're going to do well. You want a carpool down there? I'm looking, I'm looking to get down there. <laughs> hey, let's make it happen. I'm good with it, man. Let's oh my God. Uh, I, that would, that, that would just be the most absurd. We can make, make some real <laughs> weird podcast content on that. <laughs> Let's make it happen. Uh, I'm like all in. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I'm definitely gonna be in the building. I, I'm gonna find a way to get down there for that game. That's gonna be a good game. Yeah, I think so. Hopefully, uh, hopefully the Billikens can uh, can do some work. So yeah, you, yeah. You, you mentioned... I really like this team, man. This is. Uh, go ahead. No, no. Let's stay on it. You like this team? No, I was just saying, man. Yeah, I like this team, man. I've, I've been down to a couple of practices. I always like um, – I think Coach Ford and Coach Tate um, and the rest of the uh, – Coach Jack and now Coach uh, Coach Phil, you know, um, um, Coach Stewart, when he was there, man, like I think those guys have done like a phenomenal job, man, of, of keeping our local kids home. You know, people don't understand. I always look back, for the most part, probably besides the Majerus era, Someone's always been good when they were able to keep their local kids home. They were able to keep the good local kids home. Um, they had a lot of success. You know, you look at our years, you look at the previous years with, with A.B., um, even before then with Luther Burton, Pee Wee Leonard, you know, all those guys, they, they were, they were kind of on that up and rising. Our guys kind of took it a step ahead and made the tournament and made some noise. When Larry came in, his group with, with you know, Matt Baniak and John Redden and those guys, they were good. And Justin, the following year uh, with, with, with Tatum and those guys, um, Marky Perry, even though we can claim him local, he was Chicago. Um, but, you know, Slew has been good, man, when we able to keep some hometown talent home. And I'm really excited, you know, by, by, by um, Yuri's development. You know, I think Yuri's one of, one of the best point guards in the country by far. Um, his innate like passing ability and man and able to read the game and manipulate the game and and make you know players better man it's like it's like absurd you know for a kid and he had it for a long time for a kid that age to kind of have that and I see TJ I look at Fred you know and 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 those guys now we got Franco back home man I'm man you know and Javante is homegrown he went to school right down the street so 
it's just it's just exciting, man. When you when you chart kids when they're in high school and then they go to the home school and they have success, you know, it it because they wear it, they it means a little different to them, I think, you know, because that's their home school. So they go that extra mile. That's kind of what I felt when I went to SLU. That's probably what Scott and Julian felt when they went to SLU. Um, you know, we just lay it out on the line a little bit better, man. You got to represent your hometown. You know, and I think that's that 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 does wonders for us. And and Coach Ford and Coach Tate has done a good job of keeping that talent here. I wanted to make a little bit of a right turn. You mentioned Yuri Collins, and the word on the streets is that you uh, worked with him a little bit on his shot uh, this offseason. Can you walk us through kind of what the plan was and, and how you guys kind of worked? Yeah, I just um, – I reached out to him, and, and we kind of connected. And um, I was able to just kind of give him a couple of pointers and some things that kind of helped me. You know, and um, it's it's sort of a I've, – I've always liked Yuri. I played against Yuri when I – you know, of course, coaching at SLU when he was at St. Mary's. Um, you know, we had a couple of battles. But Yuri's a – he's an awesome kid, man. He's a great person. And he's a phenomenal basketball player as well. You know, I've always respected his game. And it was just a, a piece that I saw that was sort of missing, and I just kind of wanted to, you know, ask him. And we talked about it, and we hooked up. And – um. You know, apparently it's, it's sort of working out. You know, I told him, you know, we can continue to work. You know, he just, as long as he let me know whenever he wants, I'm always accessible to any other guys, you know, for any of those things. Because the more success they have, like, the better it is for not only our program, but our whole city. So any any little way I can help the program, man, is, you know, I'm always there. I always say Yuri Collins is six foot, but walks like he's six foot eight. Like that dude just walks like like he has huge cojones. Like I like I don't know. It's crazy. The, like just the, the confident energy he walks with. It's it's crazy. Even stepping on the he's court a, as a freshman. He's really, yeah, yeah, he's a he's a coach. Like Yuri's a coach. Yuri's basketball IQ is like off the charts. You know, and to have someone like that, I think the main thing he had to learn probably as a freshman, and I talked to him about this when he was younger, you know, I should kind of come to practice and and, and kind of sit in his ear about communicating, um, you know, talking more, be more vocal. And that's hard thing for young kids. And as they get older, they get a lot more confident. But right now, his confidence is at a hard time high. And it should be, you know, he's, he's one of the top dogs, and I think, in the entire country. So... I feel really good about our program because we got him at the helm running the, running the ship. So as uh, long as Yuri stay healthy, man, running the ship, I think we got a chance against anybody. Yeah, and he's definitely showing more of that scoring ability um, this season already in the exhibition games for sure. So uh, yeah. circling back to your career and, uh, and scoring ability, you, you, you said Coach Spoon came in and said the magic words, right? Because I'm looking yeah, at your yeah. sophomore stats here and uh, – that's a green light if I've ever seen one. Uh, you you basically had <laughs> unlimited, uh, uh, you know, green light for for shooting that season. Yeah, I, I actually my sophomore year, man, I ran, I played the point. Uh, so we brought a guy in, Carlos McCauley. He was a freshman, um, and I was a sophomore. But for the most part, um, I played the point, so I had the ball in my hands a lot. So not only was I, I had the 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 responsibility of scoring I think uh, that was probably my highest scoring year I probably averaged like close mm -hmm. to 20 points a game yeah um but also you know 
had to run an offense and, and get everybody involved. Um, and that really kind of helped my game when Coach Spoon kind of put the ball in my hands and, and, and allowed me to grow. And I think he, he kind of probably understood that he was going to take some lumps by doing that. But at the same time, he knew it was going to be beneficial uh, for the program in the future. So, yeah, my sophomore year uh, statistic-wise was probably my best year. Um, all of my years were fun, even the bad years, my freshman year, uh, probably the worst year, but it was still fun because I learned so much. But uh, my sophomore, junior, senior year, man, I, I, I couldn't I couldn't even dream of of it being as 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 great as it was. Um, just not as far as like my own personal production, but just the team success and the players that I got a chance to play with. You know, to this day, a lot of those guys are still, they're still my brothers. Like we still keep in contact. And when we ever, we link up, it's just like we were in that dorm room 20 some years ago, uh, sitting back on beanbags and just, you know, talking crap to each other. So um, I kind of got that out of everything. I gained a family, you know, by playing that slew. You mentioned um, kind of spoon given the green light. What else was uh, kind of different uh, in the in the style that Coach Spoon brought, and and what did you find similar? <laughs> Man, Coach Spoon came in. It was crazy. I had never seen this before ever. Right. So first day of practice, we get our uniform, practice uniforms. Of course, we have the Russell Athletics. These guys got Nike and all this like amazing gear now. Uh, but uh, we had Russell and um, they gave us these tights, right? And the tights had like pockets in them. And I'm like, you know, we that's when everybody wore tights underneath the shorts, um, like the biker shorts or whatever. And I'm like, why, why are these pockets in there? And then they gave us pads, you know, and they were like, you're going to need them. Like, <laughs> it was football pads. So we had, I actually had thigh pads and hip pads in my shorts. And I was like, and the first day of practice, he come out and he lined everybody up on a, on a baseline and he picked two, you and you. And he, he would just roll the ball and he say, go. And I'm looking at the next guy and he like, go get the ball. He just screaming and screaming. So you just run and you just dive on the floor. And from that day, I started understanding, like, that's all practice was. It was the most intense hour and 15 minutes that I ever done. We never practiced more than an hour and 20 minutes. People don't know that about Spoon. We never worked on offense in practice. People didn't know that about Spoon. As great as uh, shooters that we were, Spoon was like, if you want to get shots up, you're going to do that crap after practice. So we would stay after Scott, myself, H, um, Carl Turner, guys like that. We would stay after like two hours after practice to get shots up because we didn't shoot in practice. Practice was an hour and 15 minutes of diving on the floors, beating the crap out of each other. Um, it was the most intense thing in the world, man. And we were, we actually were football pads. One of the guys actually had to wear elbow pads because he elbowed guys a lot. So practice, it was the most physical practices I've ever seen. I've never seen anything like it, you know, till this day, probably, you know, they're probably called DFS on spoon. If, if, they, <laughs> if they do something, he had us go to practice to each other. So, <laughs> but yeah, man, that was, that was spoon, man. And 
practice was so hard that the games were easy. I looked forward to the games because it was nothing like practice. I had already been through the wars. Like in practice, he used to put a guy on me in practice. I never forget this guy. This was my man. His name was Derek Falk. Derek Falk's goal and thing was to beat the crap out of me every single day. And whenever I came off screens, he would just knock, knock the hell out of me. He would rake my arms. He would grab. He was whole. He was scratch. And it was like that every day in practice. So when I got in the game, it was it was free. It was easy. You know, and everybody was the same way. He he pushed everybody to make make you whoever you're playing against, you're gonna push them to the to to the limit. All right. And sometimes it ended up in fights, it was pushing matches, it was all kind of things that went on in practice. Uh Spoon brought in a, a transfer, uh, Donnie Dobbs, that year. I cannot explain why I love Donnie Dobbs as a four- and five-year-old, but I did. <laughs> um, tell me something about Donnie Dobbs uh, on or off the court. Just a, a, a good story about Donnie. Zach, I can't tell you nothing off the court, man. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then, then, then get me Donnie Dobbs on the podcast. I would not. I want to incriminate myself on a podcast. I want to incriminate myself on Donnie Dobbs with what went on off the court. We had a name for Donnie. We call him the dog. But oh. it, it, on the court, I, I'm telling you, first of all, what people don't know, Donnie was very, very skilled as a basketball player. Like Donnie was really like a guard. People don't know, like, we used to have shooting contests in practice, and Donnie would sometimes outshoot me and Scott. And he would always let us know because he liked to talk a lot of crap. That was basically what he was known. You think Kevin Garnett and Gary Payton talk crap? You haven't seen anybody talk as much noise as Donnie Dobbs. Um, but he was a 6'4", and he was built like he was built like nothing. He had wide shoulders. They were like bowling balls. He had real skinny legs. And he was stupid athletic, but he had a real big butt, like a Charles Barkley butt on top of that. So he was freakish looking. But, man, I seen Donnie. Donnie had a thing he called body love. So whenever he posted guys up, he's like, give me the ball. Give me the ball. Body love, body love. So he give him the ball, and he just pound guys. He crab dribble, crab dribble. And he just jump on top of, like, six, nine guys, jump hook, dunk on them. And he let them know all the way down the court. You can't guard me. You can't guard me. Clyde, give me the ball. Keep giving it to me. He going to get body love all night. So that was his thing, body love. Um, Donnie was like, man, he was like the engine. He was the energizer bunny for us. Um, he was a he was the round mound of rebound. And he was a good rebound. He'd get these rebounds. And he would squeeze the hell out of the ball. And when guys come, he would yank them and throw elbows at them. He was mean. He was mean. And um, mean, skilled, and he didn't care about anything but winning. And if he were on his team, like we were, he'd go to bat for you. Um, Slew is probably a never see another Donnie Dobbs. <laughs> um, and I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. Uh, <laughs> And he was a really good person. Like, hey, 
really, really like that good time, though. I can share Kenzie. You guys remember Spurs McKenzie? You ever remember Spurs McKenzie, the dog? Yeah, yeah. And the boy, Bud like, Light. commercials? Yeah. That was, like, the life of the party. Yeah, the, well, like, Donnie Dobbs was always the life of the party. Yeah. You knew where he was because you heard him. You knew in the locker room who was the guy. You knew on the court who was the guy that was going to get everybody riled up. He was going to get your team riled up, and he was going to get the other team pissed off. Um, and then after the game, he was going to be the guy that kind of get the party started. You know, Donnie had a he had a, a phenomenal, like, reputation about that. So I was really lucky to play with somebody like Donnie. Um, like I said, not only was he – he was a wild man off the floor, but on the court, man, he was, he was a demon, man. He was a dog. He really was. He was he was incredible on the court. At six three, at six three, he played the four. Yeah, so it was tough. I, I gotta show you something I just found. So Googling Donnie Dobbs. Can can you see that? I don't know if it comes through. Yep, I see it. I see it. That's him. What, what do you think? What, what does that, I mean, that isn't that, that's just the coolest thing in my mind. I don't know. I thought it was super cool. I'm, <laughs> I'm a huge nerd. I'm a huge nerd. I don't know. So for the people oh. listening on the podcast, it's a, it's a 92, 93 Billikens roster, yes. but they're all laid out like they're uh, like trading cards. So it's a picture of everybody with their name. Oh man. I remember this, man. This is my sophomore year. And, and we got you up uh, here. Ryan Grant, and there's Ryan. Ryan Grant was Ryan got hurt. His career got shortened. Um, Ryan was an incredible basketball player too. Um, he could score the ball, man. He, he liked to play defense, and I can say that I didn't like to play defense. I didn't really have a choice when Spoon came in because that's all we did was play defense. But um, Ryan hated defense, man. But man, that kid can score. That kid could score. But, yeah, that picture, I remember. That was Donnie, man. That was Donnie. Soft touch. He can handle it. He can shoot the three. But his main thing, man, he liked to post guys up, man, and work in the paint. You know, that was his deal. Probably the player. If you guys ever get a chance to kind of uh, – go ahead. No, no, finish up. I was just going to say, if you ever get a chance to, like, see any film, I don't know if there's any YouTube or anything on that, but I've never seen a guy that size. Uh, they talk about Penny Hardaway. I never seen a guy six three, uh, wheel and deal like he did in the paint, man. He was and he and he got about nine or ten boards every game, along with his fifteen to sixteen points. Yeah, he was he was a good tough spoon player, uh, on and off the yes. court apparently. So, <laughs> so probably the player from that era, obviously that people associate most with you is Scott Highmark. Were you were you and Scott roommates? No, um, I was roommates with uh, Ryan Smith and Corey uh, Graves. And then my freshman year, I was roommates with Julian. But Scott lived down the hallway. Uh, he was right down the hallway. We lived over in, it was Grand Towers. I guess now it's like Marchetti Towers or something like that. Right, uh, right across from um, um, the Shell Station. So at that time they had they actually had residents that that sort of lived there. So um, yeah, Scott was Scott was down the hallway, but it was it was sort of roommates because we hung out, we ate dinner together every day, we were always together. But um, that was probably the extent of it. 
Scott and I, 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 I have always been, that's my brother, man. I love Scott. Like Scott and I, like to this day, I cannot talk to Scott for, you know, two or three months. And, you know, when we link up and we talk to each other, man, it's like we were back in the dorm room together playing video games. Like um, his family, I love his dad, man. I love his mom. Um, you know, now his wife and his girls, you know, he, he was real fond of my mom. Um, you know, and my family. So, um, yeah, we're linked. We're linked for life. We're going to need you to uh, to get him. I, I talked to I ran into him at the Chipotle uh, over on Olive uh, a few, I think, last season, I want to say. And I, I try. I was like, you got to come on the pod. We got to we got to get him on the pod next. He's he's a great white buffalo. Make that happen. Oh, we're going to make that happen. All you got to do, let me know. I'll talk to him. We'll get it done. He ain't going to say no to me. He better not say no to me. I appreciate that. Uh, I got you. I got you. No, I, I'm curious. Um, you guys went to Pauley Pavilion that year and played UCLA. Uh, fairly yep. close game to 68-54, considering you're on the road at Pauley against UCLA. And you're playing against Ed O'Bannon and Tyus Edney. Uh, did, did that game mark kind of a uh, – I mean, you guys definitely – you guys lost it by double digits, but did that – give you an idea that there was a marked difference between the year prior? Oh, yeah. Um, and actually, that game, I remember that game. Pauly Pavilion is amazing, by the way. Um, but I remember that game with uh, Tyus Edney. Tyus Edney was, man, I never played it against anybody that was that quick that can change directions um, um, that quickly with the balance and the explosiveness that he had. Um, but we went down to the wire. The score really doesn't indicate how close that game was. Um, I, I still kind of recall some of the moments in that game. Um, and they kind of pulled away at the at the end. And, but just like you said, Zach, pretty much um, that game towards the tail end, especially we start seeing like progress, you know, and, and that game propelled us when we got to the NCAA tournament. Um, we played Marquette. I can't remember. Remember, Marquette was like the one seed or the two seed. We were, of course, one of the last seeds. I think we had won like nine or ten games that year. Um, and we played Marquette at the Pyramid in a, in a great Midwest Conference tournament. Um, and my, my sophomore year, I had got – I had won like first team all-conference honors, which was something new. And we played Marquette with Jim McElvain and Damon Key and – Tony Miller, that team was that team was unbelievable. I think that was a team that, that might have beat Kentucky that year in the tournament. It was either that year or the next year, but um, we beat Marquette in the conference tournament. And that game that you're talking about, that UCLA game, that was a game that kind of gave us a lot of confidence towards the tail end of the year um, that we can kind of compete with the big boys. You know, um, UCLA had always had talent, man, but I don't know why they could never put it together. Um, but Ben Holland kind of got it out, got out there and got it straightened out. And Steve Levin did a good job too. But, but yeah, that you was right, man. That game kind of, that game kind of showed us what we were capable of, and we carried that into the tournament. And not only beat Marquette, but we almost barely got Memphis State the next, the next round uh, with Penny Hardaway. Yeah, and in Memphis too. Yeah, in Memphis. Yep, exactly, exactly. So you've got a lot of. Uh 
so it seems like, you know, you've made market improvement that year over the year before. And it's kind of crazy to me to make a turnaround like you did the next year, because you go yeah. from a 12 and 17 team that goes one and nine in conference. And all of a sudden mm-hmm. you're 23 and six, you finish second in conference, you finish the regular season ranked 24th in the, uh, in the poll. I mean, what, what do you credit for such a significant improvement year over year? Was it just another year under spoon system? Was it, was it kind of some new blood on the team or is it something we're not even thinking of? I think it was a combination of all of that. Um, like I said, the end of my sophomore year, um, we had made market, uh, uh, marketing, markedly improvement um, in all facets of the game. Donnie was dominant inside. Scott and myself were, were two of the best perimeter players in the, in the league. And this is a league that had, like like I said, Tony Miller and Rob Ochtman, Penny Hardaway and Billy Smith, Nick Van Exel. You know, all those guys were in the league. And we were, like, one of the top, you know, perimeter players in the league, you know, with those guys, the sophomores. You know, so that was there. And I think um, uh, Coach Spoon and, you know, Coach Lee that was there, Coach Lackey, they did a really good job of we were all going to be juniors. They didn't go out and get high school kids. They actually went out and got a a host of junior college players that were kind of at the same um, uh, maturation level as we were, you know. And I don't know if that was like a plan, but it was definitely um, a successful uh, kind of bit because when those guys came in, we had one high school guy, which was uh, uh, Jeff Harris. Uh, he came in from Arkansas. Jeff was a 6'4 center who had the heart of a lion. You had David Robinson, who was Juco. Donnie Campbell was Juco. Saku Barantine was Juco. Uh, Carl Turner was a junior college player. So he mixed all those guys into what we already had and brought Jeff in. And off the court, how we clicked off the court was just, like, incredible. Like, we were all attached at the hip, you know. And then our games, we didn't have – Scott and I like to shoot the ball. We like to gun it. I'm not going to lie. Like, I I love to shoot. I love to score. I had a lot of success doing it. That never altered when those guys came in. They just kind of fit in and, like, filled in the spots, you know. So it was perfect, you know. So um, that next year, man, we were ripe for a big um, a big year. We didn't know that it was going to turn out the way it did. You know, I think we started off the season, like, um, 11 or 12-0 and 0 my junior 14. year. Uh, we played at the 13-0. 14. Yeah. I can I, – yeah. I can remember we played, I, I, it was either Missouri State or Carmondale. I think it was Carmondale. I remember the days at 5 and 23, as Zach had mentioned, we had like 500 players, 500 people in the stands at the arena. You could hear a pin drop. And my junior year, we were warming up. We didn't even think nothing of it. We knew we were on a roll. We knew we were pretty good. Um, we were just playing and having fun playing with each other. Success was just coming. Um, because we just love basketball and we love playing with each other first and foremost. So that meant a lot, you know, whenever you get a team that like playing with each other and playing for each other, um, they got a little talent as well. You got something pretty special. And we came out my junior year, man, we played Carmelo. I remember running out of tunnel and it was like 20,000 people in the arena. You know, I, it almost brought a tear to my eye. I looked at Scott 
And I know he was kind of thinking about the same thing. Like, man, I can remember running out the arena, man, with 500 people in the stands. Like the only people that were cheering was my mom and his parents, you know? <laughs> so now we got 20,000, you got people running around, you look up in the stands and then you start recognizing like baseball players, pro hockey players, uh, politicians around the city and things like that. And we like, wow, this thing is blown up, you know? So um, yeah, man, it was just a mixture of, of all of that. Like you said, we got better. Coaching staff did a really good job of bringing some players in. Not a lot of notoriety was just perfect blend for what we had, you know, and it all worked out. I, I want to get to Jeff Harris because I've, I've spoken with Jeff on, on uh, the, the previous iteration of my podcasts and uh, he's one of my favorite people. Uh, he was one of my favorite players and now he's one of my favorite people. Absolutely hilarious to talk to. We talked to him for like two and a half hours. Um, but I, I'm curious. Uh, I also need to ask you about the Brett Hull incident, uh, the drunken Brett Hull incident. I don't, I don't think I know about the Brett Hull incident. Uh, Hull's banging on, or this guy is yelling, banging on the uh, locker room door. He's like, I got to see Spoon. Where's Spoon? Where's Spoon? <laughs> they open the door and it's Brett Hull and he is shit face drunk and trying to talk to Spoon. No, I don't remember the Brett Hull incident. I don't remember that. Uh, but no. Um, I know those guys used to be at a lot of our games. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. that was, I mean, around like Wayne Gretzky was on the team then too. And he would, he would show, I think he showed up in the arena. I think Jeff Harris said he ran into him once. I think like uh, Gretzky walked by him. He's like, Hey man, good game today. And uh, Harris, somebody told Harris, like, do you know who that was? And he's like, nah, it was Gretzky. So, uh, but I'm curious what you would attribute. I mean, you look at the 14 game winning streak. Yeah. Winning solves a lot of things, but I mean, we've seen these Billikens go on win streaks recently like that, and you don't see Chaffetz being sold out, but when you guys uh, have your streak broken by Marquette, Marquette gets ranked, they come to your place, you beat Marquette at home in front of 18,158 fans, what do you attribute that, like, the city embracing you the way they did? What do you attribute that to? I think a lot of it, like I said, man, um, um, we had some hometown guys. Like, even though we, you know, Jeff, we brought Jeff and and David and DC and all those guys, and they were very important to the team. The face of our team was still um, was myself and Scott Highmark. You know, local boys and local kids that have been there at the bottom, and all of a sudden now is on the rise. We were sort of the face. Um, people can remember us when we played in high school. Um, I had a fan base from Illinois. Scott had a fan base mixed. And I think that was the thing that, that drew the attention of a lot of people in St. Louis, you know, that they, that we had those local guys here and we had that success um, at the same time. So it was something for a lot of people people that was tangible you know it was like these are homegrown guys that are on a national level and having a lot of success the same thing I think is going to happen with these guys if these guys have that type of success where they go out and they go on these win streaks and they start winning a lot of these games the city is going to get behind them 
um, and they're going to support them and they're, and they're going to be there. You know, it just so happened at that time. And we, we had a really fun brand of basketball too. You know, um, we were, we were, we were solid defensively, but we shot a lot of threes. You know, you look at Golden State. I, I look on the NBA now. I think I was looking at a stat the other day. I think the average number of threes, like people shoot like, I think teams are shooting like 34, 34, 36 threes a, a game on average. And we probably shot 19 or 20, you know? So we were sort of uh, before our time, I look at the stat sheet at the end of the night when we played, I might hit three or four. Scott might hit, probably hit two or three. David Robinson hit one. And at the end of all that, you look up and we have like 12 or 13 threes, you know, but it was just all within the flow of the offense. And it was fun to watch because bombs would be dropping from everywhere. We had six or seven guys that was letting it go. So it was real fun to watch. When you come out and you see local guys and you see um, um, this blend of other guys and they're, they're all playing well together, they're sharing a basketball and threes are just falling out of the sky. People are high-fiving, having fun. It was fun, man. It was just like, you know, you go and you see live dunks and all of that. We were shooting threes, you know, and, and we were making a lot of threes, you know, so I can imagine – when you watch teams like Golden State play and you watch Steph Curry and you watch uh, Clay Thompson and them guys shoot the ball and they're like ridiculous uh, shooters, you know, and, and and you see that, man, it's like, it's the same, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's just a fun brand. So I think our brand of basketball definitely brought a lot of people out as well, not only having hometown guys, but the fact that we, we played a, a really fun brand of basketball. What what was more fun, the brand of basketball or hanging out with Jeff Harris off the court? Man, I can't stand Jeff Harris. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Jeff was actually just in town last week. We went to dinner. Um, he came in town and, yeah, you know, we had dinner. Oh, man, we sat back, man. We laughed. We joked. Uh, like I said, I hadn't seen him probably in a year. I talked to him all the time through Facebook and text and all of those things. Um, uh, sometimes on the phone, but man, it was cool, man. We you know, just talked about old times, man, and laugh and joke, just like we were back up in the dorm room. But um, it was a fun brand of basketball, but I really, really enjoyed playing with the people that I played with. Like, it was fun going to practice knowing I was going to get to play with Scott I was going to get to play with Carl. I was going to get to play with Jeff and DC and David Robinson and H. And then when we get done playing and practice and having the wars that we had in practice, we were going to go to the, to the diner and we were going to eat dinner together. Then maybe we're going to go watch a movie together. We're going to hang out and play video games. Or So that was a lot of fun. I actually got to play with like not only my friends, but like my brothers, like they were family, you know, so that that meant more. So the brand was fun. But the fact that I got to enjoy the brand with the people that I had a general affection for, man, it meant a lot. You and, and Scott, like I said earlier, are probably the two you know names people know the most from that era <clears throat> and put up the biggest numbers. But the guy who was right there with you guys was H. Waldman, who came in yeah. for those for those two seasons. But he kind of remains a little bit of an enigma to SLU fans. You know, he's not around the city anymore like you guys. He's not from there. He's got the unusual first name. 
What uh, what kind of dude was H? Man, believe it or not, H had a lot of. He had two sides to him. So you had the <laughs> you had the real conservative reserve side that was real conscientious. Um, they got it that like was like the voice of reason. And then you had the other side. He had this little thing on his shoulder and he can be like the wildest person you ever met. The guy that would do anything, <laughs> you know, um, the life of the party. He was a, he was like a dog. His other style was the Dobbs. Um, H was my roommate. He sat out. He stayed in uh, Westminster Place. Um, I used to babysit his son sometimes, and and H and I were like, we were always together. Um, you know, he was he and I. He was. I was probably closest with H on the team um, during that time period. Um, but yeah, H was just different, man. He was he was a he. It was weird because. He could be so conservative and reserved. And then at the same time, he can be like the wildest person you ever met, you know. Um, um, but that was the Vegas in him, you know. And, and that's what you had to kind of remember. Like, this dude is from Vegas. Like, H was like the mayor in Vegas when he was in high school. He went to Clark High School, which is one of the top public high schools. He was a McDonald's All-American. His dad was like a big-time lawyer in Vegas. Um, so he was he was well known in Vegas, just as we was kind of well known in St. Louis. But of course, Vegas is on another level than St. Louis. You know, probably at 18, H was going into clubs and going into casinos, eating free and and enjoying all the perks as if he was like a movie star, you know. But at the same time, he had this quiet side where he can be in a library reading a book, you know, just after you get done reading a book, he probably gonna go tell Gaten and 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 drink you under a bar. <laughs> I think Jeff Harris tried to call H. Waldman the last when we had him on the uh, like literally in the middle of the interview we had him try to call H. It was kind of funny. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, didn't didn't work out, but you know, um, the NCAA tournament. Um, how did you feel going through the selection show process? Were you uh, excited, nervous? Did maybe you weren't? You know that that ninety three ninety four season. Um, Excited, nervous, going yeah, the, to it, how'd it go? Yeah, the 93-94 season, I was really, uh, um, you know, excited. I was a guy, I remember um, NCAA tournament every year when I was in high school. Um, I used to play hooky when the NCAA tournament started. I used to cut out of school, man, and go home and watch games. You know, Channel, Channel 4, CBS had it. I remember one shining moment, I already – always had my bracket I had four or five brackets and you know I wasn't betting any money because I didn't have any money at that time still don't but uh <laughs> no I just didn't but um I would uh I would fill my brackets out man and I knew about the players like I was a I was a basketball like nut you know during that time so you know definitely you know playing and then having a turn a chance to play in a tournament Man, it was a dream. Like, you got to remember, like, we went 5-23 and 23 my freshman year, you know. And I remember uh, Donnie Dobbs and I were in a car one time my sophomore year. And I was like, man, you know what would be cool if we got to the tournament? I said, man, if we went to the tournament and we were that good, man, this city would be on fire. 
you know, I was like, man, that would be my dream, man, to play in an NCAA tournament. Like most guys think about if you go to Duke and you go to Carolina, you're talking about winning the tournament, you know. But when I was at St. Louis U and we won five games my freshman year, my whole goal, my junior, I'm like, man, I want to get to the tournament. So that was a conversation my sophomore year. So I can remember selection show, man, we sitting down and we eating pizza, you know, and we saw our name call, man, the excitement and the joy that was in that room, man. Like I wish video was like, like social media was around then so we can kind of capture those moments, but it was definitely um, something that was real special. If, if they had the amount of coverage they do, they do now back then, you think you would have graduated high school or you think, you think that, that, that week in March would have, uh, would have put you under the, uh, the 60%, the 70%. <laughs> Man, if they had social media back then, God, I don't know where I would be. <laughs> That's that probably, that probably go for a lot of us, man. Like, you know, people talk about now these kids got a rough, man. They are under a microscope, you know? Um, and always you got to kind of be careful of your surroundings, who you, who you with and what you're doing and all of that. But nowadays, man, it's like, you can't have any immature moments, even as a, a teenager and teenagers are that they're immature. They do stupid stuff. You know, it just nowadays when you do stupid stuff, 17 and 18 year old kid for doing stupid stuff and being a teenager and it'll hurt them for the rest of their lives. You know, so that's the unfair thing that I don't like about social media. Everything's on a microscope. So you guys, uh, so you hear your name called as the number seven seed going into this game and you've got Maryland who's the number 10. How'd you guys feel about that matchup when that came through? Man, you know what I had always said, because I watched, um, I used to watch Joe Smith. He was a freshman at Maryland. I was like, man, this dude is like crazy good as a freshman. But they were like in the middle of the pack in the ACC, you know, and I used to always say like, man, I would love to play at ACC schools because that's all they showed on ESPN was ACC schools. It was Duke, right. Carolina, Georgia Tech, Maryland. Um, you know, all of these teams. And I was like, man, I, man, I, I want to play against AC. And, and lo and behold, it came out and we had Maryland. I'm like, damn. It was like kind of a, it was a good matchup, except for Joe Smith. Joe Smith was probably the worst matchup for us because he was, he was so skilled um, at that age. And he was so mature in his game at that age. You couldn't speed him up. You couldn't out tough him. We tried to get in him and be physical with him. And he just kind of played his game. Um, it made it real difficult with us. He was great on defense and they had a really good supporting cast. And they were the middle of the pack in the ACC. I think the worst thing that happened to us is we had a, a nine or 10 o'clock game in Wichita, Kansas. You know, we came out and all you smelled was like horse manure, you know, because they had like, they had, they had every deal like some rodeo. Yeah. Uh, uh, arena and made it out of a basketball arena, you know. And we played. I had never played a ten o'clock game before, you know. Before that, so I wake up. We wake up at at seven thirty, and we had breakfast, and we got walkthrough, and we got this game at ten o'clock, and we weren't clicking, man. We didn't get going, you know. I had a pretty decent game. Uh, Scott struggled a little bit that game, and that was kind of um, um, abnormal because big game 
games, he always showed up. Um, but I can kind of attribute it to that, man. Like, our guys collectively, man, we were not ready to go, man. You know, and it's just something that, you know, we always thought we were good enough, we were going to turn it on, but Maryland was game that day, you know, and they kind of edged us out at the end. I think I made a turnover late. They kind of hurt us. Um, I think we might have been down two and got the ball, and I made a turnover, and they scored, and it went up to four, and we never could get it back. But, yeah, that was, that was the one thing I remember at that game, and it was really early, and we were not ready to play. And You know, you're selling yourself short there. You had uh, quite the game. I mean, you went six of ten from the field, two of three uh, from two, and four of seven from three for – you know, 16 points, you had three assists. I mean, four turnovers. I mean, maybe that knocked you down to a, an exceptional game. I, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. To me, you had a great line. The real question I had, though, is Evan Peterson starts but plays two minutes and David Robinson comes in and plays 34 minutes off the bench. Uh, what happened there? David was um... – very versatile, you know. Um, I don't know what his numbers were, but David was capable of scoring inside. He could shoot it, and we ran a lot of offense through him. Like he was a good passer. Um, he was a, definitely a good screener and pick and pop guy um, for us. And and um, he was a lot more athletic, even though he wasn't like Penny Hardaway athletic. Um, Evan Peterson was just a bad matchup, probably for Joe Smith. <laughs> Um, that night, you know, we needed somebody that can move and that can kind of wait with David longer for longer stints. Yeah, I mean, and Smith winds up with twenty nine and fifteen in that game. So, uh, you know, clearly it was it was his morning. <laughs> and he went and he went number one right after that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was he, a number one pick in the draft. <laughs> right. He he made a a ch- did he ever send you a check? For, I know, uh, right? Some royalties. Know, right? It's so crazy, right? So I got Joe Smith my junior year, and the next year we win a game against Minnesota, which was a dog fight. I had never been in a game that physical. And then I got Tim Duncan right after that, you know? Yeah. So it was like, man, I can't catch a break. Yeah, and Randolph and even that was a game that, Yeah, even that was a game we should have won. Like, we should have won that game. We That was probably the worst shooting game all our students had like the entire year. Nobody shot well. I think Scotty might have had a good game that game. Yeah, Scott was four of ten of three that game, but as a team, it was nine of thirty-nine. And and H it had the 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 roughest one. He was one of ten from the field, um, and yeah. o, of, o of eight from three. Sorry, four four of ten from three and nine of thirty-nine. Those were all from three point. Yep. Um, but you guys only shot thirty-five percent overall on that game too. So it, yeah, it was. If you have an average shooting day, you probably win that one pretty easily. And David, I think David had a great game. David Robinson had a great game that game. If we even shot 40%, we win that game. We we were winning the game pretty much the whole game um, until they decided that they were just going to pass the ball to Tim Duncan and there wasn't anything we can do about it. Um, If the mailman doesn't deliver on Sunday, H. Waldman being the Vegas kid doesn't deliver at night or doesn't deliver before like eight o'clock at night. Oh, man. It was that was the only game myself, Carl Turner, um, H. Man, we were just off, man. We couldn't throw. And we had some great looks. 
Um, we had some great looks that game, but we just couldn't, we couldn't throw it in the ocean. But we kept saying, like, somebody's going to make one. Because normally when that happens with us, all it takes is one of a, one or two of our guys to make one, and it kind of, like, spreads around, and everybody kind of start feeding off of it. Nobody can make a shot besides probably David Robinson. None of our perimeter guys can get going. And, you know, and, and Wake Forest ended up coming back. You know, like I said, they didn't throw the ball to Tim Duncan early, and then late in the game, I remember Randolph Childress was like, nobody shoot the basketball except for Tim Duncan. And I was like, all right, here we go. You know, and it was bang shot, jump hook, bang shot, jump hook. And that was it. Yeah, well, there's there's no shame in losing to someone who would go on to be one of the best players in NBA history. The best powerful ever. No question. But circling back to the start of that year, so you guys are coming off, you know, you, you, you've you lost one uh, tournament game. You went to the NCAA tournament, lost a game there. Um, how how confident were you guys feeling like you could kind of run this thing back? Oh, man, we were real confident. We knew we were going to be one of the best teams in the country um, the following year. Um, we didn't lose anything. You know, I had to make a decision after my junior year. Um, that was when, you know, kids were kind of leaving school early to go to the league. Um, I had to make a decision. So I decided I wasn't, you know, maturity-wise, I wasn't ready physical-wise, game-wise. You know, so it was an easy, easy decision there, you know, instead of, you know, kind of jumping off into that. And plus, um, you know, we had a lot of unfinished business there. So, um, you know, once that decision was made and got out the way and we had basically our whole team back, um, I had a I had a really good idea that we were going to be pretty special the next year. And you start eight and oh and clearly are special again. Don't lose until you run into that. Uh, you know, top five in the nation team, UMass coming in with Coach Cal and Marcus Camby and, and Lou Rowe. What do you remember about that matchup? Man. <laughs> so I um, filmed the game and he gave me a, uh, he gave me a copy of it. And, um, First of all, that game, it was like super hype. Dick Vitale was there. He came to practice. Um, we had the newspaper, they, we had the sporting news article that they talked our team up and how good we were. We were on Sports Center every night. Um, Dan Patrick, you know, was crazy about our team. So um, like we were, we were, we were hot news. I think um, Marquette might have played Temple. It was some kind of 18 Great Midwest shootout. Um, I think Marquette ended up beating Temple like the game before. But I can remember that game, man. It was it was a slug, uh, a slug fest, but we could not contain um Lou Rowe. And I had watched Lou Rowe um probably four or five. Marcus Camby didn't play that game. Uh, I think Marcus Camby's grandma had died. His grandma raised him. So she had suddenly passed and he didn't come. And, and they were like ranked number one in the country. It was sort of a downer because we wanted to, we wanted them to be whole. You know how that is. Right. Yeah. You're looking forward to playing a team and then one of the top players not there and you kind of let it down. And then they ended up beating you with all the other guys. That was a little bit of it. But definitely Lou Rowe probably had the best game of his entire college career. He think he was like 15. It looked like he was like 15 for. 16, I just remember the announcer every every other minute yelling Lou Rowe. 
Um, and we couldn't make a shot, man. Like that was one, another game where, and it was close, like all the way to the end, you know, we didn't pull it off. They ended up beating us. But like I said, man, I remember my uncle filming that game and giving me a copy, man. To this day, I've never seen that game. And I watched a lot of my games. Like, of course you watch film afterwards. That was one game that I never touched. Like I never watched it. You know, even now to this day, I can't watch a clip of the UMass slew game. Still stings, huh? It still stings, yeah. Because it was one of those games, man. I think it was like 19, 20,000 at the New Hill Center, which is not a Sabbath, Scott Perry, whatever it's called. 19,000, man, you had like a who's who in the crowd. ESPN right. was all over the place. Um, national televised. It was our first time on a big stage. So we were looking for it, and we were ready. We had the players. We had the team. Um, we just show up, you know, and get, get the job done. And, you know, that stung. That stung a lot because I really wanted to play Lewis, man. That's what it was all about. Whenever I put on that 13 to put on Sloop, that jersey, man, it was all about putting on for the city, man. Yeah. One of, one of the other big uh, opponents that year in conference specifically was uh, Cincinnati. Uh, I talked, we talked a little bit, uh, about, or I did, I guess with, uh, with Jeff Harris about Cincinnati and Danny Fortson and Bob Huggins. Uh, and, and one of the big storylines with Cincinnati and Huggins is that Huggins and Spoon were big time drinking buddies. Uh, <laughs> what, what do you remember specifically about that Huggins Spoon relationship that you can tell us? Man, I know they had a really, um, deep respect for each other um uh, uh huggy bear, spoon was fiery about the game huggy bear was fiery about the game but also he was really really passionate i guess and fiery with his players where some people would say they kind of crossed lines i guess you know how they kind of like interacted with each other but that was just kind of the way huggy bear was and how he was with his players so he and Spoon had a natural, that kind of natural affection with each other. Um, and they were kind of like two of the same, but yeah, definitely they were like big time drinking buddies. Um, I had been out a couple of times where I seen him out, you know, and when I saw him and I think Culpepper's used to be the spot back in the day in the Central West End. Um, and Spoon and Huggins, that was like their favorite spot. Spoon stayed in the Central West End, you know, and I remember going in and seeing Huggy Burn, seeing Spoon kind of tossing back. And I went in one door and went right back out the other door. I wanted no parts of that. Uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, they were really good friends, man. But they were really competitive. Like they wanted to beat each other. They talked crap to each other on the court and all kinds of things, man. Like, yeah, they 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 did. And I can remember um, to this day, Huggins still kind of tells the story of him coming to St. Louis and he kind of had us beat. You know, and, and I think I ran off a, a succession of like two or three threes to kind of close, close the casket on them. Scott had a great game. We had it clicking on all cylinders. They were like top 10 um, in the country. We were top 15 in the country, you know. So those battles, man, with Cincinnati, man, they were they were big time um, during, the, during that period. Yeah, you guys split that regular season, and then uh, they got you in the third round of the conference tournament that year by two and up in Milwaukee. At the buzzer. So we played in a conference tournament. I think we were, we might've been a one seed. 
our first chance to get a conference tournament, man. And it was like a dog fight. Danny Forson was killing us. We went back and forth, back and forth. Um, I think they went up one late. They had a guy by the name of Lizelle Durden and they had um, Donnell Burton, another guard, big guards. Donnell was about 6'5". He was built like a, a brick wall. They had Danny Forson and Art Long and all those guys down low. And um, man, it was late. They kind of took the lead. Like I said, it was a dog fight the whole game. And um, Spoon gave me a clear out at the top. You know, and he was like, get the last shot. You know, so I drained the clock. And I thought I did take the last shot. I made the shot and put us up one with three seconds. For us, I want a conference tournament. We're going to get a top four seed. So all of these things are going through my mind. But at the same time, it's three seconds on the clock. So they call timeout. You know, we go back to the huddle and we strategizing about defense, what we're going to do. And um, they throw the ball in a half court. And in my mind, I'm thinking, go double, go double. But if I go double, I'm going to leave a shooter. So I don't go double and they get it to, um, I think it was Burton. He got him at half. And it was still one second on the clock you know, when he made it and they went up and at the end, I think it was one second when Spoon drew up some of the last second play. Carl Turner actually got it at half court and let it go and it hit the front of the rim and we lost the game. And that would have been before, I think the conference tournament they won, I think when Kenya Martin got hurt, um, they won a tournament that year. They beat Cincinnati that year. SLU did, meaning we did. Right. But that would have been our first conference tournament. It was like the culmination, man, going from 5-23 and 23 to my senior year now, winning the league and winning the conference tournament, man. It would have been like a storybook ending. But, yeah, man, the guy, the kid made a – he made an incredible shot at half court, man. And, and yeah, that was that, man. That was it. And we didn't get a top four seed. We ended up getting an eight seed, you know, as a result. We were put in probably the most difficult region. You know, Alabama was strapped with – uh, I don't know if you remember Antonio McDice. Yeah. Um, they played with the Nuggets uh, for a number of years. McDice was – Jason Caffey was on that team in Alabama. I think it was Latrell Sprewell had just graduated uh, maybe a year before. But they had um, Big Country Reeves at Oklahoma State. They was in our region. You had Wake Forest in our region. And then you had Minnesota in our region. And you had Penn that had Jerome Allen, who's a coach now. Jerome Allen was with the Celtics as a coach. I forgot where he is now. But, man, that that, that was like the toughest region in, in the entire tournament. All of us was in the same place. So um, it would have been a dogfight kind of getting out of there. Quick right turn. I don't know if you've seen it, but there's a great documentary out there. Uh... A, uh, a, Vancouver, a young lady from Vancouver who does a documentary about flying, finding big country. And she, cause he's like super reclusive now. It's pretty interesting. She goes on like this conquest to find uh, Bryant Reeves. And it's just, it's a really good documentary. Anyway, I just want yeah, to I did hear He's kind of like off the grid now. Yeah. 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 Uh, go ahead, Pete. Sorry. Yeah. Well, I actually wanted, one of the questions I wanted to ask you about, uh, about your years in particular, you guys played your first three seasons at the St. Louis arena. 
Yeah. Um, and then the last one at the new Kiel Center. And I'm kind of wondering what that transition's like. I have very fond memories, of, well, of both places, but the the arena was just over a mile from my house. And I went to a ton of SLU and, and uh, blues games there when I was a little kid. So what's that, uh, what's the experience like playing in that old, you know, building built in the twenties and then going to this brand new shiny arena downtown? Man, we actually love the arena, man. I like playing the arena. You know, um, it was old, creaky. Um, but like I said, it was it was home to the blues. And then when they built the new kill, the blues went to the new kill. I wish we had kept the arena, the checker dome as it, uh, as it was called as well. Um, you know, um, one of my fondest memories, I remember as a freshman, um, nobody ever knew this. I used to wear ankle socks. Right. So as a freshman, I come out in my ankle socks and my legs were freezing. <laughs> oh, it was so cold. And um, I was like, man, I need some. That's when the girls used to wear leg warmers. And I was like, man, I'm not putting on leg warmers. So I went back to the locker room and I found some socks. I don't know. One of the players had some socks and they were long. So I got the socks and I pulled them up all the way to my knees. And from then on, that's how I started wearing my socks up to my knees. So it was kind of cool because as we start getting a little bit better, I can remember my sophomore year going into like Wall Center, uh, uh, going to like Herbert Hoover, some of the boys and girls clubs in, in the inner cities in St. Louis. And I can I remember seeing these kids, man, and they all playing and running around and hooping with their socks up to their knees. So I was like, Man, I was like, they had no idea, but that's that's ice underneath the floor, you know. So they had these wooden planks that they would put over the ice, and then they would put the hardwood floor over the wooden paint planks. But the floor was still freezing, man. It was so cold. Um, but yeah, that was that was like my one of my fondest memories of like the the old Checker Dome. But yeah, I love a Checker Dome, man. The rims are soft. It was a great shooting background um, for us, you know. The new Keel Center, we never got to practice there. Um, we just really just played games. We practiced at West Pond and then we would show up for games. So it was almost like being on a road, you know, in a lot of ways. The best thing they did at the new kill, they finally took the rims that was in the arena and they brought them over to the new kill center. So that was the, that was like the compromise that they made. I remember uh, watching Marquis Perry as a kid. And uh, of course I was a young pup and I was a, uh, cutting the sleeves off my white t-shirts and putting it yeah. under the jersey <laughs> point of basketball. Yeah, I was, uh, but it was a past the shoulder too. So I was a, now I was a little dorky, but back then it was, <laughs> was the way to go. That was the thing. I remember that look too. Yeah. And Marquis, man, I, I, man, a lot of people don't remember Marquis, man. He was so good, man. Oh man. He was an incredible. Yeah. Marquis was good. He's definitely one of all time greats in his for sure. Yeah, he was he was there in my my era, and uh, and your your story about getting a little cold at shoot around and the in the arena reminds me. We had a player from Israel when I was there, Isaac Gohanon, and uh, and he always complained about the temperature. And this is in the the newer <laughs> arena. He would he would go into shoot around before a game. Sometimes he would have a hoodie on under his practice jersey. You know, wearing as much as he possibly could man. and still and still practice. Um, man, that so, ice was cold, man. Yeah, I've never seen anything like it. Yeah, yeah, it's no joke. So 
you, we, we already covered your, you know, the, your experience that year in the, uh, in the NCAA tournament, but I'm wondering, so now it's your senior year, you finish up the, the tournament. What's this period like for you, this last part of, uh, of being at SLU? Man, it was like a whirlwind, man, because things shifted from like the jovial, having fun with your friends kind of deal. I've always had another year, you know, so it's always like, man, I got another year with these guys. I got another year. And when it was over, it was like, man, it was down to business, man. It was like trying to get better, you know, um, you know, try to get my footing and try to extend my basketball playing career, you know, um, preparing for the draft or preparing for the NBA workouts. I had um, I went to a couple of NBA camps right afterwards. And, and um, the Portsmouth Invitational was really big. You know, and I didn't know much about it, but they were like, you play well at Portsmouth, you know, you'll get invited to, then it was Phoenix. You know, Phoenix was like the NBA, the big time NBA camp before Chicago. You know, I played well at Portsmouth uh, and then I got invited to Phoenix, you know. Um, so definitely, you know, that was something. It just basketball then turned from fun to like more like a pure business, you know. Um, so it's kind of, it kind of robs basketball like it's innocence because it is it's all business now like you are the business you know your skill level your body um your person is pretty much the brand you know um um as far as the business you know it's just unfortunate you look at nowadays i look at that time period that i kind of went through that you know and it was tough um because i just wanted to hoop man i want to hoop with, with my guys that's what i've always done and now it's like i'm on my own and you know now i gotta this basketball thing it's a job you know um it's fun i love it but at the same time it's a job and i gotta be on my p's and q's all the time now because you know that's that's the brand so it's just unfortunate now when you think back the things that I talk about, I'm talking about now during that time period for me, kids are going through it in high school. You know, they looking at like their brand in high school, you know, they looking at post high school careers in basketball. Like I was just looking at trying to get a division one scholarship so I can pay for school and graduate, you know, cause that was the only way I was going to get to graduate is by getting an athletic scholarship. You know, mom didn't have money to send me to St. Louis U or anywhere. You know, so that was my thinking, like use basketball. She always told me, use your talent to make yourself a better person. You know, so, you know, that's what I tried to do. But nowadays kids are like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm using basketball. I'm trying to get millions. And they're like right. 17, 18 year old, you know, and they're getting up in the morning at six o'clock and training and going to school and after school they're training. So it kind of robs a lot of the innocence out of basketball, just the joy. Um, and, and then you add on all the extra pressures that they get from the outside influences, friends, and then the parents, the parents are definitely different than they were when I came up. Um, parents think they do a lot of, and they probably mean well, but I think parents put so much stress and undue pressure on these kids nowadays. You and a lot of the kids can't take it. You know, when you see a kid's development is stunted, they don't get better. You know, in a lot of ways, sometimes it's because of the pressure um, that they're getting either from parents or outside influence to try to live up to something that they're not at this moment, you know, and and I wasn't, when I was a freshman, I wasn't a finished product that I was as, as, as a senior. 
in college. You know, my four years of playing professionally in Europe, I was way more developed than I was when I was in college, you know, but I was able to develop on my own time period. Nowadays, a lot of kids don't get that opportunity, you know, so um, it's definitely a lot tougher in that way. You, you mentioned Europe. Uh, where in Europe did you end up at? I played um, when I came out. It's it's a little different now. It's it's so wild because I you know nowadays you can go to Europe and you can play and then you can come back you know to the NBA. You know when I came out, you go to Europe and you basically kind of like an afterthought, kind of lost league after playing in Europe. You know especially as a guard was 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 like really scarce. I don't know too many too many guards that had done it. So I played when I came out. I played in Israel. Um, I played um, a season in Israel, played a stint in um, Amsterdam and England and Cyprus. Um, I went to Spain to get on for a little bit, you know, so I had traveled uh, well. And then I played one year uh, with a team, um, a, a local team, a, a professional team. And it actually was a a really good team. A lot of former players, Doug Smith, Derek Graham, and all those guys played. Bernie Bickerstaff was the coach. Um, the St. Louis Swarm, it was like a, um, you know, a league that they try to develop. The pay was actually pretty good in the league. That was one of the reasons why I didn't go back to Europe, because the pay was pretty good. Um, and then it had an NBA feel. Bernie Bickerstaff was an NBA coach that knew his stuff, and he had a lot of connects. You know, so that was one of the reasons why I stayed and we won a championship and it was a lot of fun, you know, um, and I learned a lot and grew a lot as a player as well. So, um, yeah, that was kind of like my career. Like two years later, I was coaching high school and I've been doing it since then. You got a favorite place you uh, you played in? I mean, Israel, Cyprus sounds amazing. Like those places sound amazing. Do you have any favorites? And uh, what was the culture shock uh, situation? Man, um, Cyprus was by far my favorite. Um, I had no, I didn't know much about Cyprus. Um, half of the island is occupied by Turkey. Um, and, you know, it was a, it was a, a, a Cypriot Turkish war uh, back in the day, but half of the island was still occupied by Turkey. So they had like barbed wires up and all of these things. But Cyprus was like Hawaii and some tourist islands to us. A lot of Europeans, when they go on vacation, they actually go to Cyprus, you know? Um, um, so that was a little different. Um, it was basketball, but it was sort of like a vacation spot. It was pretty modernized. A lot of American restaurants. I guess the biggest cultural shock uh, for me was um, the basketball is always basketball. So, you know, that's nothing. But And the language barrier wasn't as bad. You know, I guess it was, if you can think of anything, it would probably be the food. Uh, the food, um, the interactions, you know, it's 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 not a lot of things and, and kind of American things that you can kind of do. So you're sort of isolated a lot. So I, you know, oftentimes I, I stayed in a gym, I stayed in a weight room or I was in my apartment or hanging out with a couple of other guys from other teams that was from the state. So um, I guess the hardest thing would be kind of like the isolation. 
you know, kind of being by yourself. But the island itself was incredible. You know, you can go to the beach. Um, they had a beach called Ayanapa. Um, and that was like the tourist spot and they had clubs and all of these things going on. So you can go to the beach and hang out and have fun. But at the same time, you kind of have to remember you can't get caught up because it's a job. And if, and the one thing about Europe, if you don't perform well, they'll send you home, you know, uh, without pay, you know. So um, definitely that's something you have to kind of keep in the back of your mind. So um, your your one season with the Swarm, did they did they fold at did the league fold at the end of that? Is that what happened, or did it still hang on for a few more years? No, I hung on for another year. So we won it my first year, and the next year I left and went and played abroad. And that year they won it again. So we actually the Swarm won it two years in a row. And the Swarm was actually financially doing pretty well. They had a good fan base. Um, they had paying fans. They had season ticket holders. It was some of the other teams in the league wasn't doing as well, so the league ended up folding, you know. But Swan financially was doing pretty good, That's and it was a great it was a great concept. It was some good cities, but some of the other cities just didn't didn't get the uh, support probably from the fans that they should have gotten. The Swarm are forever linked with uh, in, in Billiken history for the uh, Anthony Drea NIT game winner against Iowa. Uh, at the family arena on the Swarm the, home court. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I remember Anthony Drew. Anthony Drew was from Israel, right? Uh, um, Albania? No. Albania? No. Yeah. His, well, his parents were. His parents are from <laughs> Albania, but okay. he he's uh, he's from Jersey. Okay. 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 Albania. Yeah. Good. Good friend of the pod, uh, Anthony Drea. He's he's a he's yeah. a good he's a good egg. That guy. <laughs> um. Uh, so, you got you came back and you got your master's uh, in education at Lindenwood. Uh, how was that experience to to kind of come back home and get, get back into kind of the college life, be albeit yeah. uh, graduate school? Man, it was crazy because um, when I stopped playing, um, I actually hadn't stopped playing. I came back home and I went to Venice, and my high school coach that coached me, Coach Harris, uh, rest in peace, Coach. Um, another one of my, um, one of my, my guardian angels, but, um, coach Harris asked me to help out and I had went out to play, you know? So I was like, all right, cool. You know, I stay And and the program at that time was struggling a city, my city of Venice, um, you know, just like a lot of, a lot of those cities during that time period, you know, drugs had kind of infested it a little bit. You know, so I wanted to help out as much as I could, especially with the kids there. Um, I thought it was my duty to kind of give back. Um, so I decided to stay and help out, you know, coach. Um, and, you know, I helped out for that year. Um, actually, it wasn't the entire year. It was just when I came back for a couple of months. And the next year, he decided he was going to retire. So the kids didn't have a coach, you know. So I was like, man. So it kind of tugged at my heart. Um so I made the decision that I wasn't going to play that year. And I stayed back and took my shot at, at coaching. And I got my brains beat in. I didn't win a game for like, oh, and like 25. We had no talent. Um, I had kids that had so many other like, like, like personal issues. But I thought I actually felt that I was sort of making a difference in like just giving them something positive and being just a positive figure in their life to like 
let them know that it, you know, it's another way to kind of do this thing that we call life, you know, other than kind of what they, what they were kind of accustomed to seeing every day. And um, it was more so about that. You know, I kind of learned that early on it wasn't about the wins and losses as much as it sucked losing. Um, it was just more so about just being, just being there for the, for the kids and being some positive, something tangible that was there. And I didn't want to be that thing that, that was there and then left because that's traumatizing. And a lot of them had had that, you know, for different points in their life, people that were close to them. Um, I did it for a year and, you know, I had a good friend that called me from McClure High School and asked me, was I, would I be interested? And I was like, yeah, why not? And I took the job at McClure High School and I did that for 10 years. And then I, I ended up doing the same thing. The slew high job came open and applied for it. And, you know, it was a natural fit. The good thing was McClure was such a special place for me, still is. It was a really hard thing um, to do as, as far as leaving, but, um, you know, I thought my time kind of was up a little bit and it was time for a new challenge. And I, you know, and that's what got me over to St. Louis too high. So that's kind of like, you know, the way my career, you know, kind of happened. Stop playing, not by choice, by kind of doing something that I thought it was my my obligation to do and, and fell in love with the other side of it, which was coaching, you know, and I've been doing that since then. Yeah. Now at SLU, you make the transition um, to one of the toughest, probably the toughest basketball conference in the state. Um, How how do you, how do you approach that with, um, you know, SLU's competitive certainly, but you're going up against CBC and Chaminade and DeSmet and Vianney. And and some of these teams are good every year, Uh, not to mention SLU. Not everybody could get into SLU. Not everybody who gets in can stay at SLU. It's maybe a little bit tougher. Um, to, to, to keep a program going there. So, so how do you um, tackle that? Man, it was a, it was a challenge, you know, uh, um, it's just so crazy, man. I'm, I guess I'm kind of, kind of a jerk or stubborn in this way. Um, when the job came open and I applied that I heard a lot of people say that I was never going to win there, you know, just for that simple matter that, you know, SLU is a more academic school, they can't get athletes into the school. Um, they don't care about sports as much. And um, you're never going to win there. And I heard all these things. And I was like, it's basketball. You know? And um, for me, that was a challenge. You know, and that was like part of the reason, one of the reasons why I ended up accepting once they offered the job. <laughs> And of course, Sulu is a is a pretty prestigious school. So, um, you know, he 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 kind of offered me the job, and you know, and I, I I accepted. But that was one of the points of emphasis when I accepted it, is I wanted to kind of change the culture um, of Sulu. You know, when I first got there, nobody came to the games. Nobody cared about basketball at St. Louis U High. Nobody came to the games. We didn't. They probably didn't have a lot of success um, as far and, and notoriety. Um, as far as like being like a really good basketball team around St. Louis. So that was definitely challenged. I've always been intrigued by different challenges in my life. And I always kind of, you know, look for those things and, and kind of tackle the head on. And three years, my third year at, at, at St. Louis U High, we were in the final four, you know. So um, um, definitely um, 
it was just that those naysayers and that challenge of, of trying to take a program because what I kind of had learned, I left McClure was a really special place with really good boys. St. Louis U High is just the same. Um, really special place, man. Good kids. Um, awesome supporting staff at the school. Um, you know, from my, my AD at the time and supported me and still are to this day. So, um, you know, um, I'm a Billiken man and, you know, being a junior Billiken man, it's all the same. So, you know, um, it's definitely, it, it has definitely been challenging initially, but it's definitely been where it worth it. So speaking of being a, a Billiken and a junior Billiken, something we're really excited about as SLU fans is uh, Nick Kramer and his commitment to, to SLU. We watched him uh, in the EYBL and Peach Jam this summer and, uh, he looks like, to me, he looks like a college-ready player, um, you know, with a with a good build who can defend, who can shoot. Um, what what is what is Slu getting in in Nick Kramer? Man, highly competitive, uh, driven, um, um, fire. Um, you know, the the one thing that you know I've always talked since I've had Nick, you know, since he got there, and he grown leaps and bounds. Not only his game, just as a person, um, he's a he's he's been a phenomenal leader for us as, as far as helping the other kids. Um, he's been an awesome teammate. And that's one of the things that I can say when he first got there that he wasn't always he was always worried about how well he was going to perform and what he can do to kind of help the team win. he only cared about winning. You know, and um, that's something that he had to understand that, like, it's it's got to be a way that you're going to do it, you know. And, um, you know, he had to understand that he couldn't do it by himself. Um, and that's one of the things, through a lot of long talks, man, that we've had. Um, I love the kid, man, of death, man. I mean, Nikki's my guy. Um, I think Slew is just getting a – just first of all, man, I think they're getting a really good person. He come from good stock. His mom and dad are good people. Um, he cares about uh, basketball, he cares about his teammates. Um, he wants to win. He wants to do it the right way. He understands now how to do it the right way. So um, I think I think it's going to be a hit, man. It was just funny how quickly it happened. Um, and he talked about it just being a natural fit, you know, and he didn't want to he didn't want to look at any other school. Once Coach Ford kind of started recruiting him, man, he made the decision early on to, to, to make that and he made it. You know, it wasn't anything that, you know, myself or his, or his parents had pressured him into. So um, I'm excited, man. I'm looking forward to Nikki being, you know, being with Team Blue and um, able to kind of contribute uh, to the team, man. I'm, I'm, I'm really proud um, of the kid. And I'm looking forward to it. I got one more year with him, though. Um, but we're going to try to get some things done this year. But definitely after this year, man, Slu is getting a phenomenal player, a phenomenal person. You know, you, you, you talked about you having a relationship with Yuri Collins, uh, a kind of a mentor relationship. Uh, you mentioned Nick Kramer being recruited to SLU. Um, what is your relationship currently with Travis Ford? How often do you guys talk? Uh, what do you guys talk about? Just, you know, give us an idea. Man, Travis and, have a, Travis and I have a really good relationship, man. Like, um, I consider him a friend um just on a personal level like um it's a general affection like towards the travis is the um he's just he's a great person man he's you know he's he is a he's a basketball guy 
But also, um, you know, it's I, I look at myself just like him, and he cares about his kids. He cares about his players, you know, and he cares about um, St. Louis U, you know. And I, I know that was some probably people question, you know, Coach Ford is going to be here maybe a couple of years, and he's going to get it going, and then he's going to go and take another job, you know. But the trick was on everybody else. You know, Travis is bonded, you know, to St. Louis U, man, and bonded to the city of St. Louis. Um, and he's excited about being here. He loves his job and he loves the city. So, you know, once, you know, I saw that, you know, early on, um, you know, it just, it's just been cool, man. We have a really, really good relationship. We can talk basketball. We can talk life. You know, I shoot him a text every now and then. He shoot me a text. Um, we've gone to numerous dinners and like all kind of stuff. Like Travis is a really good person, man, and a good friend. I'm 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 happy for the success that he's having. And I'm happy that he's on Team Blue. So hopefully he doesn't go anywhere, man. We can keep him around for a long time. You know, I gotta ask one more question about Spoon Hour. Right? Okay. We know he loved the booze. Did you and, and I asked uh, Larry if you ever got Larry Hughes, if you ever got a <laughs> chance to booze with with Spoon. Did you get a chance to share a couple cold ones with uh with Spoon Hour? I have not. I, that's something that I never did, man. I hate it too. Um, because I've seen him out a couple of times, like I said before, and um, I saw, I have seen him throw him back, but I didn't get, I never got a chance. I believe H did. H might've, H might've been the only one that got a chance to sit down with coach and have a drink or two with him. But that's something, man. And I never really had an opportunity um, um, to do, man. You know, as you know, he stayed maybe a year, I think after I left and then he went to Vegas um, and he found out the kids in Vegas were a little bit different than the kids that he coached at St. Louis U. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and and he kind of got out of it, man. But um, I miss Coach, man. I learned so much from Coach Spoon. You know, one of the biggest things I learned from Coach, man, um, I remember one game I played, uh, we played Marquette, man. I had a horrendous shooting night. I might have went like 0 for 13. Um it was the worst shooting night I ever had in my in my playing career. And, um, you know, normally when that happens, you got coaches that kind of look down upon you or they want to talk and they want to give some kind of speech. I saw Spoon in the hallway the next day, and this one I knew that he was he was pretty special. And, and I think this was my junior year. Um, he stopped me and talked, and we talked about everything else but basketball. Like he never met this game had just happened the night before. It was a game we should have won. We were better than Marquette. We played up at the Bradley Center. I stunk it up, and that was the reason why we lost. I turned the ball over. I couldn't make a shot. I couldn't guard anybody. I was horrible. I cost from a team a victory. Um, and I knew it. Everybody on the team knew it. <laughs> but um, yeah, when I saw him the next day, man, he stopped me in the hallway, man. And we probably talked for like 30 minutes, man, and basketball never came up. You know, and then that's when I knew, like, he cared about who I was. And more importantly, he knew that I was just going to kind of figure it out, you know, and he knew when to kind of step back and just let me, you know, let me be me and let me figure it out. So um, Spoon was definitely, man, I learned. And that's one of the things I learned from Spoon. As much as he liked to win, um, he always said, I might be a cuss, but I'm going to be the same cuss with everybody. So from the first player to the 15th player, he all, 
you can you people say I treat everybody the same. No, it's probably impossible to treat everybody the same. But one thing you can do is be fair. And I I, I can say he was fair with all of us. Yeah, you know, you know, I just I just want to say thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Uh, this has been a thrill. Your your era at SLU is the one that really got me hooked on SLU basketball. It was you know when I was younger, it was uh, I barely barely remember the Bonner era. So yeah. when uh, when Claggett and Highmark and Waldman are there, that's when I really uh, take off as a SLU fan. So thanks for being a, a good representative of uh, Billikens all these years and, and taking the time to talk to us. Uh, no problem. No problem, man. I ain't going nowhere. Hopefully, hopefully soon, man, we can see that 13 hanging in the rafters. All right. I, I, I'm I all got, for it. I I'm looking a, forward. I'm looking forward to it. I, I got a second what Peter said, except that I have the the same memory of your era that he had of the Bonner era, but I was still hooked. I mean, I was, you know, three, four, five years old, dancing in the aisles, wearing my Donnie Dobbs shirt getting hyped uh until the usher had to come tell me to move because the fire marshal was upset that i was standing in the aisle you know so no i mean i, I can't tell you uh, how much it means to, to sit here and and let and you let us you know pepper you with questions for two hours it, it really is an honor man and uh i, I can't i yeah, hopefully we can snag a beer over at Shafitz here. Let's uh, do it. Yeah, Let's and it. Uh, we'll. we'll uh, I gotta get. I gotta. I gotta sit with you for a game, man. I, I wanna. I wanna hear you break it down. Oh man, I, I know, man. I try. I try not to overanalyze, man. I try to like sit there and coach, but it's. I mean, not the coach, man. But you know, you will never. You will never lose a game from the stands. I can tell you that. I, I know that. <laughs> hey, the, the way I critique, I know that. <laughs> I've never lost a game either up there. Uh, yeah, but no, nah, man, it's fun. We got we got to make it happen, man. I, I really enjoyed it too, man. Um, you know, just talking about some of the old days and some of the stories, man. Some of the questions, man. It's it's nostalgic for me. Um, it keeps it fresh in my memory, man, and um, it lets me know, man, that that you know during that time period, man. Like not only myself, but Scott and H and and DC and Jeff and and David Robinson and Carl Turner. Carlos McCauley, all my guys, man, Marcus Jones. We did something right. You know, we did something right because, you know, we have a bond and and it was a special moment because people still remember it, you know, and they remember a good time. So, um, you know, I, I like to thank you guys for just sending me down memory, memory lane, man, and, 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 you know, asking me these questions and helping me remember and talk about some of these events, man, because they definitely – you know, you talk about it being special for you guys. It definitely one of the, probably one of the most highlight moments of my life. Um, you know, and something that still drives me to this day. So just thank you. You guys keep doing what you're doing, man. Keep supporting, you know, our Billikens, man. And, you know, we're going to keep pushing forward. Hey, you're, you're absolutely welcome. And, and you're more than welcome. Anytime you have an open invite, you want to come on for one of our regular episodes, Break down a game. We'll we'll make it happen. It, it'll all right, be, it'll all right. Be a blast. I'm gonna take you up on that. I'm Absolutely. gonna take you up on that. All right. Hey, we'll let you go. Good luck this season over at Slough High, and uh, and 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 do good things over there. All right. I appreciate you. Appreciate you. I'll see you guys down the road.